Hey friends, we're so glad that you've joined us here today. My name's Kevin and I'm one of the pastors here at Friends Church in Orange. And whether you're watching this message online or listening to it in your car or on a run or wherever you are today, it's our hope that the words that are shared, that the message of God that is shared in this message will give you hope, life, and encouragement as you seek to live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of your world. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so by going to our website. We'd love to meet you, we'd love to connect with you, and we'd love to serve you in any way we can. I love what they were saying. I hope to see lots of you guys take a step into Alpha. It is one of the most amazing journeys I've taken in my faith here, even with Friends Orange. Some of the sessions that I've been a part of last year absolutely changed my life as I got to just see God work in people's lives, including mine. So I just want to reiterate, that's such a great opportunity for you guys. Um, This past week, I had the privilege of traveling with Matthew, who's our senior pastor at our Yorba Linda campus and and kind of the spiritual dad of our friends' churches here in Orange County, and him and a few other people from our leadership team. And we were doing doing what you do sometimes is you go to a conference, right? We were meeting with a few other churches in Atlanta just to talk through what does the gospel and Jesus and the church look like in today's world post-COVID? What are we learning? Just learning from God and one another. So we show up at the airport, meet everybody, and I'm like you. It's like, I do not like checking my bags. My bags have disappeared more times than I can count through the years. So I've got my little rolling suitcase, you know, thing that everybody takes on planes these days. And so I'm walking through and I'm getting ready to get on the plane, you know, scan my boarding pass and walk, and the gate agent goes, excuse me, sir, I'm gonna have to check that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And it's like, yeah. And, and I'm like, no, 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 I already want. And he goes, well, put it up here. And I, I kid you not, maybe that far, maybe that close. And he's like, oh, it must be the wheels. And I'm like, I've taken this on. And he goes, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to make a big scene. Let's get on the plane. I don't want to hold everybody up. But I get on the plane. And I'm just like, that's so not fair. Like, I've taken this thing on the plane so many times. So I get on the plane. I find my seat. And then everybody's coming by me, rolling their bags that I kid you not are the same bag that I just was forced to check at the gate, yet theirs are going up nicely in the thing. And I'm like, I can't believe this. This isn't fair. Like they're bad, but I'm not saying anything to them. And then as we continue on the flight, of course we go now and you know, they give you your free drinks and your little teeny tiny pretzel bag. But if you want some snacks, you can pay for it. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. I'd get some snacks or whatever. And I see, you know, the guy across the aisle from me, like, you know, he wants some snacks or something. She's like, okay, that'll be $7. And he goes, ah, and she's like, don't worry about it now. I'll come back. She never came back and charged him. He got free snacks. I paid $7 for my snacks. And I'm like, that's not fair. And it's like, they take my bag. They're charging me for snacks. I can't believe what's happening. This isn't fair. And I was thinking about that this week in the context of this message. And like, that's not fair is something that just seems to get born in us from the time we're little kids. I mean, I've got siblings or if you were out with friends when you're getting ice cream when you're a kid and somebody makes the scoop a little bit bigger for your friend, you go, that's not fair, he got more. Or you're under the presents under the Christmas tree with your siblings, I don't know about you, but I would count them and I would know how many she got and how many I got and if there was more, if they were bigger or if the perceived value was greater, it's like, that's not fair. And all of a sudden as teenagers, we end up in classes and they start doing group projects and there's people that carry their weight in these group projects and there's people that do nothing and all, everybody gets the same grade and you're like, that's not fair because sometimes it was me who did nothing and the other people are screaming at me. 
But this happens as we go through life, right? All of a sudden, especially parents, I love seeing all the young families and young parents here because, you know, some of them, you know, you talk and you're just exhausted. And I just love you guys that you even fight your way to get to church. It's unbelievable. You know, and then some of these parents have these babies. They're just like, oh, they sleep so great through the night. Just amazing. They've been sleeping since two weeks. And you're like, that's not fair. You know, it's like I'm exhausted for three years because of my baby. So here's the thing. We, we just, there's so many things in life. We just go, that's not fair. And maybe what we really mean, you know, is more of that's not what I was expecting. That's not what I wanted. That's not what I had hoped it would be as we walk through life. But the one thing we know is we never grow out of it because the world is hard and the world is challenging and the world isn't fair. And here's the thing. It's not only in stuff that we compare to one another. Oftentimes we can start comparing relationships Maybe sometimes we see people that have great friends that they've had their whole life, and you go, that's not fair. How do they have such great friends? And we feel alone, and we feel lost. We'll look at, we'll look at families. We'll look at marriages, and we'll go, that's not fair. They seem to have such a great marriage, and ours is hanging by a thread. We'll look at the relationships that seem to exist in some families. You go, that's, how do they have that? That's just not fair. I haven't talked to my brother or my sister or whoever in so long. And you just want that kind of relationship. And here's the thing. As we go through life, like how do, we, how do we live? Not just survive, but how do we live? How do we even find joy and the full life that God promises in a world that's totally unfair? And in a world where we're constantly saying that. And here's the deal. I think at our core, all of us would want to be the kind of people that get to celebrate the best moments with one another. They get to celebrate the babies that sleep through the night instead of being jealous. They get to celebrate the great moments that people have or the friendships or the relationships or the marriages or the job opportunities or whatever. Like to celebrate, we want to be the kind of people that celebrate that in one another's life. And yet it's so hard because we just want to say, that's not fair. And so today, that's why I'm so glad that you guys are here, right? We're starting this new series, Understanding Jesus. And we're going to be looking at, at 10 of, of the stories that Jesus told called parables. And parables are, are sort of like these theological word problems that Jesus would tell to illustrate these principles about the kingdom or about who God was. And so as we walk through this, it's important because we want to understand who Jesus is because the Bible tells us if we understand who Jesus is, we understand and get to see God. And we understand who he is as our heavenly father which is really important because if you were here last week, I invite you to go listen if you weren't because if we understand who God is, we can understand who we are because he's our heavenly father. He's the one who created us. And so then we really get to understand ourselves as we walk through this. So I'm excited that you guys are here because today specifically, we're gonna talk about how do we find contentment and joy in an unfair world. So I wanna invite you guys, grab your Bibles if you brought them with you. Turn back to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. If you need a Bible, there are always Bibles back there in that corner on some shelves. I invite you to go grab one. You can use it not just for the service. You can take it. I want everybody to have a Bible. It's important just to be able to hear God, underline, circle things that he's saying. But Matthew chapter 20, let me give you a little context before we dive into this. So Jesus having a conversation not just with his disciples, but people are gathered around as they usually were. And Peter 
right? One of the disciples, one of the very first disciples, friends, followers of Jesus from the very beginning, he asked this question, right? And he's like, hey, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? And you're like, oh, he said that? It's like, yep, he said that. So Peter says that, and then Jesus, you can imagine, probably just smiles and takes a deep breath, and he just unpacks basically like, oh, Peter, don't you, don't you remember? Don't you know? You, God is so good and he's so kind and he's so loving and you can never outgive God. Anything that you give, he's gonna multiply. He's gonna bless you. He's gonna give over a hundred times what you could possibly give back. And it may not be in this lifetime, Peter, but it may be in eternity, but trust me. He's saying God's good and you can trust him in that. And then he says, you know, the surprise is oftentimes some of the greatest in the world will be the least and some of the least will be the greatest. And then Jesus tells this story in Matthew chapter 20, verse one. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and he sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same thing. At about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. So he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, yes, go and work in my vineyard. Okay, so just to understand, it's a pretty simple story. But you, so this landowner, clearly he has a lot of work available for people. And as he's walking through life, he starts his day, but he, he agrees, right, to this contract with these workers. And he said, I'm going to pay you a denarius, which would be a day's wage. So in this county, kind of the average day is a couple hundred dollars. So they agree. All right, you go work for me all day. I'll give you 200 bucks. I'm like, awesome. So they went out to work. But as he's going through his day, he sees these groups of people. And what do we, you know, what do we learn about, about the landowner as he invites them into work? He just says, look, I'm going to go work. And he said, I'll just, I'll pay you whatever's right. He doesn't even agree. They don't even agree on a price. He just says, I'll pay you what's right. And they say, okay. So they go to work. And he does this four times throughout the day at nine, at noon, at three, and then at five. And so we see there's a couple things. I know as you guys read the Bible, you're like me and questions come to your mind. And so the first thing I start thinking about, what are the observations that we have about this landowner? What can you see about who he is? And the one thing we can see clearly, like I said, is, well, he's got a lot of work and he has a desire and a heart for everybody to contribute and to work. He doesn't reject anyone. He wants them to use their skills and their gifts and abilities. We, we, he invites them into this great story. He's compassionate because he sees people that the world would have been holding at a distance because they don't have a job. So he invites them and he's compassionate and he's kind and he's generous. And at the end of the day, he's good. You go, man, he seems like a good man. And then we can also learn some things about these workers, right? They want to work. Whether it's the ones that are in the morning or the ones that are standing around, they're just waiting for an opportunity. And the landowner gives them, they said, yes, we'd love to. They don't even negotiate. It's like, all right, I'm in. I'm in to, to do whatever you're doing. Like they're content, they're happy. So you have this thing where like everybody's happy, everybody's content. So let's see what happens. Verse eight, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard, said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who are hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. They got the full day's wage, the 200 bucks. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them 
also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. I bet they did. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who become the burden. We've borne the burden of the work, the heat of the day. They start grumbling, like, can you believe this? What are you doing? They only worked one hour. They only worked four hours or they only worked six hours. We worked all day for you. We were out here slaving. Remember, these are the people that were eager, willing to work, content with the agreement and the arrangement they, they made. And then all of a sudden, they start to grumble and complain. And what do they start shouting? That's not fair. That's not fair. What are you talking about? That's not fair. Because here's the thing. Fair, according to them, and fair generally for us, is that we decide what we and even others should receive. We get to decide what we receive and others. And generally, what that means is more. In a word, fair for us, just like these workers, is generally more. Because number one, it says right here in the passage, they expected to receive more than everybody else. And so we think the world is fair when we have more. More than what we thought we were gonna get, more than what we assumed we were gonna get, more than we think we deserve to get, or just more than you. That is what we believe is fair, more. And that's what we see. And when we don't have more, or when we don't get more, or when it doesn't go the way we thought or expected or assumed or wanted or hoped, we say, that's not fair. That's right. And here's what we see, is that comparison kills contentment. There is one thing that will destroy you from the inside out, comparison. Everyone was content. These guys had agreed on a wage with a good landowner. They had gone out and started on this adventure. They were fine. They were content. This is great until someone else had more in their mind. And it wasn't even more. It was the same. But in their mind, it was unfair. And all of a sudden, comparing just destroyed their happiness, their joy, the satisfaction of a job well done, the relationship that had existed between them and the landowner, and probably even the relationship that existed between them and the other workers. Because comparison kills contentment. See, here's the thing. We rarely complain. We rarely scream, that's not fair. We rarely complain about fairness when the world aligns with our expectations. When the world or the circumstances align with our expectations of fair, we're okay with it. But even if, and sometimes especially if, the outcome is, is unfair to someone else, that's when we scream, that's not fair. Like, we're even okay if other people get punished, but we get what we think we deserve. That's how insidious it is, this comparison thing. As long as we have more, then it's fair. And that's the way we tend to work. It's true of all of us. It's a product of this heart condition. I realized I was thinking about it this week and my flying illustration with my bag and the snacks. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is true of my whole life. I've been, I remember when, when I was younger, probably 12 or 13, all I wanted for my birthday was I wanted my mom and dad just to totally like 
fix up my bike. I had this BMX bike and I was riding dirt tracks and jumps with my friends and their bikes were a little better. So I'm like, I want to just fix it up. This was a few years old. And so they took a massive sacrifice and fixed up this bike. And so for about three months, it was awesome. And then Christmas came and my buddy got a brand new bike. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, my bike's not as awesome as his bike anymore. And it was like three months old. It was, it was amazing. Three months ago, it was amazing the day before Christmas. And all of a sudden, he pulls this bike out of Christmas, and it just wasn't good enough. I remember when I was in high school, my parents sacrificed, and they got this old uh, Jeep for my sister and I to drive. It, like, would barely stop, even. Like, the brakes, like, sometimes I had to coast along the curb, like, just rubbing the tires to get it to stop. Like, it was that kind, but it was awesome. And I learned to navigate it, and it was great. And it would leak, and it was fantastic. I had to put water in it every single week. I mean, it was awesome. So I get this old Jeep and it's broken down and it's great. And then all of a sudden, about a year later, my buddy shows up in what? A brand new Jeep that actually stops. And I was like, oh, wow, that seems cool. And it never changes. All of a sudden I grow up and one of, the, one of my goals in life, right, was to have a car with heated seats. Because who doesn't need heated seats in the freezing winters of Southern California? But I thought, wouldn't that be amazing? Like if I could only have a car with heated seats, maybe even like the little compass, you know, in the rear view mirror, <laughs> that'd be awesome. So I get a car with heated seats. And then my buddy gets a car with not only heated seats, but you have these cars. <laughs> and that's it. I'm like, they cool your seat. Now all of a sudden I'm totally discontent. You see, comparison kills contentment. It just kills contentment. It steals and robs. So, and it happens. It's pretty easy to live out. So here's the thing. I want you guys to take just a few minutes, not even a few minutes, just everybody look under your chairs. So underneath each section is one envelope that's just taped up underneath your chair. So just look underneath your chair. Some of you are going to peel stickers off that exist there, which is fine with us. But it might be on the chair next to you. Yeah, see, you did it, which is fine. But there's a blue envelope. There's an envelope with blue tape. So there's one here. Just hold it up so I know you got it. There's one here. There's one there. There should be one over here somewhere. Okay, now, so we have two there. Is that possible? Okay, great. Just hold up the envelope if you got it. Don't open it yet. Just hold it up. You got it. Anyone over here? One there. Okay, now, now here's the deal. Just open the envelope. Tell me what you got. Let's start over here. What'd you get? What'd you get? 20 bucks. What'd you get? A dollar. Not as excited, are you, about the 20? What'd you get? A dollar. Hmm, what'd you get? Five bucks. What'd you get? Ten dollars. See, here's the thing. Three minutes ago, we were all having a good time. And we were all content. And we were thinking, ah, okay, I'm starting to understand this, and I, but that's for other people. Other, and then all of a sudden, only five people get these envelopes. And not only that, the person that got a dollar is like, I got a dollar, until you heard that they got 20, or that you got five, and I didn't get 10. And all of a sudden, oh, what had started? And that's just a simple way of illustrating exactly what happens in our hearts. When someone in the world texts you or calls you or pulls up in a new car, or I got a new job, or I got engaged, or we're pregnant, or whatever it might be, and there's something that's like, oh, I want to celebrate that so bad, and yet, why didn't I get that? And if I got the dollar, I got, why didn't I get five? Or if I got the five, why didn't I get the 10? And if I got the 10, if only I just sat where the $20 bill was, <laughs> right? And that's what we see is comparison just steals 
and kills contentment. We see it as we go through life. And here's the thing, this, this spirit of competition and jealousy and envy that takes over. And as, as I was just thinking and praying, and Holiday, my wife and I were even talking this week, just all about this as we do. And one of the things that our hearts were breaking for is particularly the next generation that's in the room. And the reason largely is because of what you fight and the world you grow up in with the technology that's available to you around social media. And I'm telling you, to try and fight comparison and competition with that I can't imagine how challenging it is. I mean, when, when Holiday and I were having kids, like, there was no technology like that. And, like, you know, with young kids and stuff, it was all we could do to, like, shower during the You know what I mean? It's like we were never looking right and awesome. We're like, we got to survive another day. You know what I mean? We've got three kids under three. It's like, let's just get up and get going and get to the park and throw hats on. And, you know, our kids half the time had no shoes and the most random outfits. And they, you know, would eat mud. And I mean, we were a mess. And it's like, nobody wants to see this on Instagram. You know what I mean? With our, and, but we were thinking, and it's like today there's just this world where it's like there's almost this inherent pressure that it's like, well, even to go, I got to look right if I'm going to the park. I don't know who's going to see my kid, and I'm going to take some pictures, come down the slide, and wait, do it again, because it wasn't good. The lighting wasn't right. Yeah, you know I mean, it's like whatever it might be, it's like, oh, I got to do that. And that's just parenting. I mean, just like I said, for young adults, it's like what you post and what you say, and am I saying this right? And is this, or am I going to the right things with the right people and wearing the right? It's just, I just can't imagine the world of comparison that you're growing up in. And I'm just telling you, it's just, it's so hard. And it just kills contentment. Because I wanna tell you, you guys are beautiful. And you're amazing. And you're living amazing lives. And there's a good landowner who's making sure, you, hey, you wanna work? You wanna walk with me? You wanna live, the, and just living in that contentment. Constantly the battle that you face. And so is, is, just to pause, knowing that comparison kills contentment, is there a place in your life today as we're talking about this where, where you're battling or you can see comparison in your life? Just think for a minute, maybe it's you, and, and just is there a place in your life you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I can see where that shows up. Maybe it is things or stuff Maybe it's finances or neighborhoods or homes or cars. Maybe it is relationships or marriage or kids or jobs or promotions or business. There's no end to the opportunity for comparison. But is there a place in your life where comparison is killing your contentment? I just want you to identify that. Because as we walk through this journey together, I'm going to give you an opportunity to find freedom from that. Because the one thing we see and the one thing we know is, remember, while, while oftentimes the Bible and even passages and stories like this, just like last week, while they reveal something about us that we can identify with, this passage and this story isn't about us. Remember, it's about the landowner. It's about the kingdom of heaven. It's about who God is. It's about understanding Jesus and so that's what we need to focus on is, what is what do we learn about him and the heart of our father? So as we read on, how does he respond in verse 13? 
He answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius, a day's day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? He's dealing, right, with the people that followed first, which remember, go back to who asked this question. Peter, the first disciple that's been walking and following Jesus the last the whole time. And so who's he talking? He's, he's talking and saying, wait a minute, don't miss out on everything that's amazing. Didn't we agree? Haven't you gotten to work all day? Weren't, you were so excited about this journey that we were going on together and who I am and the opportunity that I created. And you were probably even more excited to have help. And all these people walk alongside him. And he's saying, don't you remember my kindness? Don't you remember my goodness? Don't you remember my generosity and compassion? And my goodness that invited you into this story, don't you remember who I am? And that's where we see that that fair, actually, biblically, is where God decides what we and others get to receive. We don't get to decide, but God decides what we and others receive. And here's the thing. That's because fairness for us is more, but fairness for God is actually generous. He's generous. There's more than enough work. There's more that he's saying, I own it all. Like, I, haven't I given you everything? Isn't there more that's possible? And he even says, he literally says, I want to give and I am generous. Right in the passage. Don't forget this. I want to give and I'm generous. I'm good. And this is the story then that gets told all throughout the Bible, but so often we miss it. And it's not just us. If you go back, right, one of the most defining stories in the Old Testament is the journey with God and his people, the Israelites, right? And remember, he like says, I'm going to be, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And here's the relationship we're going to have. And I'm good. And I'm going to watch out for you. And I'm going to bless the entire world through you. And they're like, this is awesome. And then they end up in slavery because they didn't trust and believe that. But God does what? He rescues them from slavery. And they go on this great adventure and they get to experience what? the goodness and the protection and the power of God. They get to see his presence through these pillar of cloud and fire that led them and protected them. They get to experience miracles as God parts seas so that they could walk through and they could be rescued. Millions of people wandering in the desert for 40 years and yet they never miss a meal. And he gives them water to drink. And even then, the Bible says literally their shoes didn't wear out in 40 years. That wouldn't even happen today. I mean, it's crazy. All throughout the Bible, we see the goodness, the overwhelming generosity of God. And again, who's telling the story? Jesus, to who? Peter, who's just saying, don't you see, I'm right here in front of you. I came so that you would know how much God loves you, Peter, that God that sees you and he cares about you and he knows you can't earn your way back to him. So I'm actually gonna take all, everything I'm talking about of forgiveness and grace and mercy and power, all of that's available through me. I'm right here. The, the generosity of God literally was on display right in front of him and he was totally missing it. He's like, what do we get? And I think Jesus is like, you get me. I'm right here. And that's what happens. That's what happens for us all the time. Earlier in a conversation, Jesus talking to the people in Matthew 6, he says it this way. He says, don't worry 
about these things, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These kinds of things, they dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father, the landowner, he already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. He'll give you everything you need. I don't know about you, but so often I want, and I even assume that that verse says, he'll give me everything I want. Or he'll give me everything I expect. Or he'll give me everything that I think is fair and right. But it says he'll give me everything I need. And learning even to believe that that's the best and that that's more than enough and then that's actually generous That's the hardest battle for me because comparison steals and kills contentment. And yet he says, I want to give and I'm generous. So in an unfair world, in a world of comparison, the question is, do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that he's fair? Do you believe that he's generous? Do you believe that he has and will give you everything you need? Do you believe that? And are you willing to choose that even when circumstances don't align with it and it feels like the world is so unfair? If we wanted to, how do we walk in that? There's a couple things that I was thinking about this week for me that helped me fight this battle. The first one is you have to kill comparison. And you have to kill it. I have to kill it. I've learned that God won't kill it for me. What God will do in his kindness and what God will do in his goodness and what God will do in his generosity is he'll reveal it. He'll help shine some light on it. He'll show me the places that I wanted bigger scoops of ice cream or I wanted cooled seats in my car and couldn't celebrate my friend or whatever it is, he'll go, really, do you like that about you? And then I get to decide, what am I gonna do with that? And I have to kill comparison. So how do you kill it? You have to say it. You have to name it. And for me, that means I literally have to, I don't have to talk to the person and say, hey, I hate you because you have a new car. I don't say that to them. (laughs) But I literally have to say it. And for me, a lot of it is I just write it down and I just confess it to kill it. I'm jealous. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm complaining. Whatever it is. For me, I say it, I name it, I write it down. And the other practical thing I do, we could do, is actually just celebrate with one another, even when it's hard. Hey, congratulations on your new car. This is amazing. I love that you got a new house. This is awesome. 
you got a job? I let, you're making what? To do what? That's incredible. You know, just be happy for people. You got engaged. You got married. You're having a baby. Whatever it is, some of those things are so painful and so hard. But the way we kill it is just to say it and to name it, write it down, confess it, and then celebrate with one another. What if, those, what if those workers that were hired first and made that deal, what if they were standing there and they were like, oh, you got paid the same. That's unbelievable. Congratulations. What if they had, think about the community that would build, the kind of relationships that would exist. If they could just own it and go, man, that's hard for me, but I'm stoked for you. So we have to kill comparison. And the second thing is we have to use gratitude to see God's goodness. I just use gratitude to see the goodness of God. Because what I've learned is that gratitude is something that I can find because I can find God regardless of how the circumstances are. I can find God regardless of how unfair the world is. Just this past week, there's conversations I was having with friends and I saw this battle of comparison and fairness and who God is and more and the way that shows up in the world through really some painful circumstances. One of them, I was sitting with a friend and she was telling me just about life. She was telling me about her granddaughter who's about four years old now. And she was telling me, she said, Kyle, she's had seizures for the last two or three years. The doctors have tried everything. They have no idea still what's causing them. She just lives in this world of torment and uncertainty. And there's no pain just like holding your granddaughter and watching her go into a seizure and just hoping she comes out of it again. And she said, but at the same time, she said, she's the most delightful little girl. She's so creative. And she's got so much energy and she's such a good friend to all of her friends. She's just fighting her way through the world not being fair with gratitude. I talked to friends of mine that they feel very clearly the opportunity that God as a landowner is giving them, he's calling them to move. And it's the last thing they want. They're like, we don't wanna move. This is our home, it's been our home forever. This is, this is our dream, to continue to live out our story here and raise our kids and do these jobs. And at the same time, it's like we see that this is what God's doing and we know it's the right, and just in tears, they're just like, I can't believe and yet, the way that God's provided and he's laid the path and he's told me so clearly and they're just fighting the comparison and the fairness and the, the world with a sense of gratitude. And that's what I've had to do through my whole life. Whenever circumstances or darkness feel overwhelming, because God's present, just like he was for his people all through the Bible. And he won't... O- always change the circumstances the way that we want him to, but he will carry you through them because he's good and he's loving and he's powerful and he's kind. The way we find joy, contentment as we walk through this world by killing comparison in our life, celebrating with people around us, and living in gratitude. So as we close today, I'm going to give you some time to respond, but before we do, I just want you to close your eyes for a second. 
And I invite you to do that because I just want you to have a moment to reflect quietly and just internally, just let God talk to you. And is there a place, where is there a place in your life where you've been letting comparison kill contentment? Father, thank you for speaking to every single one of us today. Thank you for the way you you consistently put your love and your heart and your character on display, not just through your word, but even through this world, through our lives, through your spirit and the way you speak to us. And I believe today, now that you're inviting us into um, a more full life, of joy and contentment, a life of freedom. And so I pray that you would help us to be, to be honest in the places that we need to, to confess and to kill comparison in our life so that we might walk in a spirit of humble gratitude and receive everything that you have for us as your kids. We love you, and we pray this in the power of your name and your spirit. Amen. I want to invite you, if you would, if you would just stand with me. And I'm going to invite you to act out and to practice what we just talked about. So on either side of the room, there's crosses like there always are, but there's also some pieces of paper and some pens and I want to invite you that as, as we respond, Angel's going to sing a song of gratitude over you. And I just want to invite you to come down and to grab a piece of paper. And on one side, write what needs to die. Just say it. Just name it. The place of comparison that's been stealing and robbing your life. And on the other side, I just want you to write down and practice gratitude. What are you thankful for today? And then you could just leave it at the cross. There's also some space over on the prayer and praise wall. We just put that up as an opportunity for you to roll up pieces of paper in there. And here's the thing. Our prayer teams pray over all of these things for your life. So as we sing and respond, I want to invite you to walk in in humble courage. And let's practice what God's inviting us into today.